Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I mean, what what made you decide to, to reach out to me? I guess you kind of just reach out to a bunch of people. I, I guess I haven't really looked into your podcast. Um, well, I saw the game. Well, I started playing the game because it came up. Uh, the game just came up on my Instagram, I think. There was a post came up and I was kind of into your music. So I downloaded the game and had a play of that and then decided it'd be cool to have a conversation about it. I like having chats about things that are, because it's a music podcast, but I like having conversations that are about things that are slightly different, if you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, Lombardi's world is definitely different. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm super curious to hear about how wrecked you got i hope i hope you at least went and watched some youtube videos of people beating the game because i i know for for certain you didn't beat the game oh no i've not been the game no (laughs) i mean it's it's actually impossible without a group of people but yeah the the most people don't get to see the end of the game which is really the fun part but I purposely made it that way to reward people who, who stuck with it and put the time in. Well, you, you can't beat it with one person, can you? You need about three, at least. Probably more. Yeah, honest. well, it's, I designed it to be beat with three people, but there's a group of speedrunners online now that have figured out how to beat it with one and two people Whoa. by doing funny little glitches and stuff. But yeah, I mean... I designed it to be three people minimum. Did someone beat it on the first day? Yeah, the the yeah. pretty much the group of people that are still speedrunning it are the ones that beat it on the first day. <laughs> yeah, it's like a group of like 20 to 30 kids that all banded together on the the Discord server and were exchanging information and and they they figured it out. There was this one dude that was from uh from Sweden. He played like 16 hours in one day, I think is what he said. He was like playing it early morning for him and then played it all the way till way into the night for him <laughs> to to beat it with the the group of americans it's yeah it's fun fun to watch those kids beat it how did they you know how they figured everything out because stuff like the like the kind of targetry puzzle like <laughs> that, i don't know how one, you would get that without assistance <laughs> that one took them that one took them really long that was probably the the hardest part of the game for them that was a puzzle that will from car seat designed He's the more um, cerebral of the two of us. So, of course, that was his puzzle. He grew up in like a Christian household or whatever. So the the Bible verses and shit were right up his alley. And so he came up with that idea to to where you have to listen to him speak some sort of Bible verse and get a clue and put the pieces together with all the Hebrew letters that are scattered around. Uh, but that one took them that one took them a while. But they did they did get it figured out. I think someone who spoke hebrew showed up and that helped them out have you always had a love of puzzles um yeah kind of i mean i i've got a big 
big thing for escape rooms. I don't know if you've ever played one of those. Do you know what those are? You know about the rooms that you go into and you've kind of got to figure a way out of them. Yeah, exactly. So I sort of designed the game like mirroring that. You go into a space where you have no fucking clue what's going on and you kind of just have to figure it out. Um, I love those kind of puzzles. And of course, I love video games. I've been playing video games my whole life. So it was a good a good joining of the two. When did you first discover escape rooms? The first one we played was actually in Austin, Texas when we were playing... Um, God, I must have been like Austin City Limits or something. Some some festival um, show, and we had like a day off, and so we were just like thinking of shit to do, and we were downtown, and there's this place called like, you know, Escape Game or whatever that I found on Google, and um, it was rated really highly, and apparently it's like one of the highest rated ones in the country. And we went to it and it's like you get to pick one of like three types of rooms. We picked like the the Wild West, like gold rush room. Nice. And it was it was really fun. Like we we had a good time. Like I was shooting a BB gun at one point. And you go down a slide at another point. Like it was like the super like theatrical and well-made like puzzle room. Uh, we just had such a good time that from then on out, we would like when we had days off, we would try to do escape rooms. So like we were in Auckland, New Zealand one time then we, we went and did one. Um, and I've done plenty in Seattle at this point, but yeah, I think the the first one was in, uh, Austin. Do they tend to differ on where you are? Like if you're in New Zealand, the, <laughs> the one in New Zealand was really low budget, but it, it had a good aesthetic because it was low budget. But I mean, I think, I mean, I guess I've only done a few abroad, but like, or maybe that is the only one I've done abroad, but it didn't seem like it was crazy different. I do have a friend that um, went to China and he did an escape room and he told me that it was like kind of sketchy. Like at one point you had to like hold your breath and like swim pretty far underwater Mm. to like make it to the other side of this thing. Like it was like a really like you could die type escape room and those just would not fly in America. I don't think. <laughs> no, I can't imagine that would be, um, that adds another element into it, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I would like to try it to be honest. It sounds fun. <laughs> what was the, what was the Bitcoin puzzle you kind of put out around the first record as well? Um, well, when you say Bitcoin puzzle, do you mean the, the flash drive? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was just like, me thinking, well, we got to do something entertaining. So I just made like 10,000 blank folders and started filling them with random shit <laughs> off my computer and created this sort of like folder puzzle where you click on a folder and it tells you to go somewhere else. And then you got to figure out a password and it tells you to go somewhere else. And then it leads you to an unreleased track and, you know, some other funny stuff. And that was sort of the the segue into game making for all the albums subsequently have those tracks come out since or are they still unreleased and they're just in that yeah the track the track of the bitcoin was melbourne australia i think and actually some of those tracks i I remember will sent me like he sent me like two or three like little demo loops that he had those were actually on there and one of them ended up being can't cool me down uh, a Carsey wow. headrest single that came out on Madlow. And so if you go if you go find those files and you you make it to this one area of the puzzle, there's a really low quality like phone recording of I think him and his roommate Degnan jamming and he's singing the cool water on my brow can't cool me down line. It's pretty pretty funny. Was there a virus hidden in there as well? There, there was a virus, yeah. Yeah, there was a virus. You definitely did your homework. This is good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the virus, like, technically, yes, it's a virus because it takes control of your computer, but it's not, like, malicious. Like, nothing bad's going to happen to your computer. When you click it, it says, it says don't click this. <laughs> and if you click it, it opens up, like, you know, 10 windows like in like browser windows in your computer and it's a bunch of like the bully cosset laughing at you and then your your volume and your brightness start turning up and down automatically without you touching anything it's just like it makes it look like your computer's being taken over which in a way it is but it's not actually doing anything whack to your computer as soon as you say don't click this everyone's gonna click it <laughs> oh I, yeah i did that for sure <laughs> but i can't say i didn't warn you <laughs> Just quickly, are you on headphones? Have you got at the moment? I'm 
I'm on a like a headset. Okay. Does it, does it sound really bad? No, it's fine. It was just in case. I just I meant to ask at the beginning. It was just in case I was coming through the speakers because I get a bit of feedback. But that's cool. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, there's not going to be any feedback. I just didn't want to set up like my mic yeah, recording thing. It was just a, a lot to deal yeah. with. Because like right now I'm in like video game mode. I'm working on the the uh, in-game concert release for for the album. And so like none of my recording stuff is set up right now. I can imagine that's a whole other thing like compared to what you well it's actually i mean now that now that i've made this whole game like this this has been going really smoothly it's it's going to be simple it's not going to be anything crazy and over the top it's just something entertaining for people to to like see and do um while they listen to the album in the game i'm sort of thinking it as a more of like an in-game like album listening party because i've gained skills in making the game like this has been going really smoothly um so i figure one or two more sessions of this and i can be done with it i i would like to be finishing the album because i'd like to have the album done by the end of the month but um will's been busy and i'm at sort of at the point where him and i need to start collaborating on a few ideas to flesh them out so i'm like kind of waiting and so i'm like well i might as well work on the the in-game album release and so that's what I've been doing for the last couple nights. Are you pretty fluent as a coder now? It probably depends who you talk to. <laughs> uh, in terms of like networking and stuff, like probably moderately versed. Um, I don't think I could do anything crazy intricate, but I've definitely spent enough time doing it where the groundwork has been laid. So I'm like now a sponge for information. Like if someone was to show me something, I could easily put it on top of what I already know. Like Emmy, the person that I that I worked on this game with, she was telling me at one point, like a few months ago, like I'm at the point where I'm as good, if not better, at coding than a lot of the people she goes to her game dev grad school with. And I was super flattered by that. Then in thinking about it, she's not wrong. I mean, in terms of the number of hours that I've put into learning how to code in the last year, I mean I've I've basically put in as many hours as a grad student would have. So how many hours would that be? I mean, I estimate that making the game took me about 2,500 hours. Oh, man. Yeah. Over over what kind of time span? That was like nine months, eight or nine months. Oh, wait, let's see. We started in April, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. So. Yeah, so it was like, like nine months. That, I'm, I'm trying to work out. That's still a lot of hours a day. It's like eight hours a yeah, day. Yeah, I was hours. like, it was yeah, 10 plus a day, pretty much, for for nine months it was it was the making this game was a crazy grind it was it was the most difficult project and the most like mentally draining project i've ever worked on in my life it was it was such an undertaking to make an online game for someone who's has no idea how to make an <laughs> online game and like and that was even with help from emmy and our our buddy nathan uh or dapper dino who's the person that we like did consulting with um because he he was really necessary to give us that last push to make this game actually work online. Cause Emmy and I tried to learn ourselves, but we really needed someone to, to coach us. And so him and I did a bunch of like zoom call sessions and I got him familiarized with the code and he basically showed me how to do it. And I learned so much from him. Yes. He, he was, he was huge. And he's actually a European as well with a team of three people one of which me who's a prof- professional drummer like to make a, a game that works online it's just a huge ask and i if i could go back in time i'd be like <laughs> dude are you sure you really want to to take on this project it's intense and sometimes i cringe thinking about how much music i could have made if i wasn't <laughs> spending all that time making the game but at the end of the day like i'm i'm happy with the product and i'm glad people like it and i'm glad there's a community of people who got to beat it and got to see the full thing um so that's rewarding was it worth it who knows but <laughs> i think there's an interview with you after you made Cossets world where you say repeatedly in the same interview a few times i'm never making another video game <laughs> and i'm a man of my word i said i yeah, but i, suppose, I yeah. didn't make this i didn't make this game alone i had a team but yeah, realistically, I broke I broke my promise. <laughs> but it was just like when COVID hit, it was like, well, I'm not doing anything anyways. Car seats not touring. Like if if COVID hadn't happened, this game would have never happened, right? Like we would have been off on tour. I could have never made this game off on tour. And 
I'm just sitting at home doing jack shit, you know, making music, I'm streaming sometimes, but like I had all this extra free time and I was like, well, I got to I got to do something productive. And so I started making this game. I made the mistake of having an idea in mind that was too grand to do easily. <laughs> and like not not to say that Lombardi's World is like this grand game, but for one person to do or a small team of people to do in that short of time and having it work online, like it is kind of a grand ask. Um, but I, I had, I had nothing better to do. So I went for it and it was torturous. And I, I would say, I would say again, I'm, I'm never going to make another game, but I mean, here we are. I spent all morning coding this stupid in-game album release. So, you know, I can't ever, I can't ever stop. Do you think you would have been, more unhappy though if you hadn't made it over lockdown like do you need to make something and have a project to be fulfilled oh 100 percent. I, I could never i could never just sit inside during corona and not work on something i would go crazy the problem is i i started working on something that made me twice as crazy <laughs> because it was so difficult <laughs> there's it's a it's it's a you got to find the the balance you know you want it to be a fun creative project and you want it you want a project to be fulfilling and challenging but if you make it too challenging you you have the opposite effect of what you're going for you probably want to make it a little bit i, th- I imagine you'd rather make it too challenging than too easy though if you had to go yeah, one or the other i would i would agree i would agree yeah because then because then you don't feel accomplished like yeah i could have i could have like paid somebody a shitload of money to like make a game for me yeah but that that would be very fulfilling and that would be a huge money drain especially during a time when we're not making any fucking money so I mean, yeah, I think I think yeah, challenging is better than too easy, but it was still it was still a truly brutal journey. I I can't overstate that. <laughs> it was really really mentally tough. Is that because you're learning as you're doing it as well? Yeah, exactly. Because like you have this idea in mind, even if it's something super simple, like I want to make the character shoot a green laser when the person clicks the left mouse button. Like something simple like that, that you get in your head and you start trying to do it and it's just not working. It's not working. It's not working. And you're just Googling and trying to find the answers to these questions. And you know, they're out there somewhere and you know, if someone just showed you, you could do it immediately. Right. And so there's something super frustrating about wanting this really simple task done and not being able to do it and not having the proper resources to get it done quickly. And it's like you get in this like little little like crazed loop. You just try stuff over and over and over and over and you start to go kind of crazy. And I mean, I think if you talk to anybody that does coding, they've probably experienced that before. It's it's a really frustrating thing to do. Cause like for me with music, like I, I know how to make music. It's it comes fairly naturally to me. And if I have an idea, I can usually do it how I I can usually put it out into the world how I kind of had it in my head. And it's it's not that frustrating. Um, there's definitely other frustrations with making music, but when you're coding, it's just like this is either right or wrong, and it's just soul sucking when you can't get it right. And so yeah, because I'm so bad at coding, like or at least was, I guess I I would still say I'm pretty bad at coding because I'm so bad at coding. I just found myself in that that mental pit so often. What's the learning curve? like for making a game and coding as opposed to making music it's a lot steeper that's for sure i mean music just comes naturally to humans right everybody can can hum everyone can sing a a a ditty even if they're out of tune you know everyone can you know bang on a pot and a pan and make some sort of noise like music is so instantaneously gratifying right like if if you're making a track you could just go grab a guitar and even if you don't know how to play you can at least like strum the strings and they'll make a noise right with coding and making a video game instant gratification is out the window like you can't just you can't just sit down and <clears throat> make the computer do something even when you don't know how to do it as like like you can hit a string on a guitar with a computer like to make it do anything you have to you have to put so many hours of work into getting it to do the most simple thing it's it's not a natural coding is not natural to human beings and so it's not gratifying until you start to hit strides and until you start to make 
gains, that's when it starts to feel good. Like when you solve that coding problem, that's the gratification, but you have to put so much work into it as opposed to recording a track. Like you can just hit record and just start singing something. And then you have something, right? Like you can, you can listen to it immediately. And it doesn't work that way with coding. Does that make it fulfilling in a different kind of way? Totally. It makes, it makes it feel like little victories every time, every time you figure something out, right? Like you have this problem, like getting, getting the, the character to shoot a green laser, right? You work for hours and hours and hours and it's just not working. It's not working. And then you have this like little epiphany and it works and you're like, oh my God, I'm the king of the fucking world, right? Like it feels <laughs> so good. That's the difference between uh, the music and this. Now, now, not to say that music doesn't have that, like I've definitely part of what makes music so fulfilling to me is that feeling you get when you make something and you play it back to yourself and you're like, Oh shit, this is sick. And you get that, you know, the hairs in the back of your neck stand up. And that's that really gratifying feeling. It's I think a lot more intense with coding because there's so much pain beforehand. <laughs> the thing with the game as well is that it almost has its own like culture, like you're building a world with it and you've got all these characters and these different kind of textures and landscapes in it. Do you come up with a list beforehand of what you want to feature in the game or is that something that kind of unveils itself throughout the process? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it's ha- kind of like half and half. I, a lot of the way that I work is just like figure it out as you go. But there was a few things. Like I knew I wanted there to be a big boss battle. I knew I wanted the boss to spawn in at a certain time. I knew I wanted these three characters in the game because these are three characters that are going to be off the new album. Besides that, it was just like, okay, I know there's going to be puzzles. And then the rest was like, well, let's just, let's just start putting shit into the world and see what works. Like originally the, the ice mountain area, originally that was like a big beach oasis with palm trees. The, the earlier version of the game had this huge desert palm tree scape with this big, um, like, what, what do you call like a, like a, an oasis water well, you know, like a big pond. Or yeah, whatever. just an oasis thing. Yeah, yeah, and so it had this huge water thing, and, and there was going to be a puzzle to to get your upgrades in this oasis area. And I didn't really like how it looked or how it turned out, so I just scrapped the whole thing and just started doing the ice mountain thing. And that's when I was like, oh, sledding would be fun. So I spent like two weeks figuring out how to make a sled work, <laughs> you know, and. That was a, it's a whole adventure in itself. So yeah, a lot of it was definitely just like figure it out as you go. But the, the like the basic framework for the game I had planned out in my head. Yeah, you have you have the structure there, but then you kind of have room to experiment and play with it. Totally. At what point does the music start to enter it? Then you know we're speaking about the sledging there. You've got this sled song. Well, I knew I knew that the game needed music. You know, any good game has music in it, and I was like, well as far as like tasks go for the game that's going to be the easiest thing for me to do so like yeah the sledding song i just threw a beat together in like two hours and just had my roommate come in and just ad lib over the top of it and i chopped it up and there there's your sledding song right um so that that those parts were super easy and then like the the five minute build song before the boss fight starts that was one where will came over for a day or two maybe and we we worked on that together and then i mixed it and mastered it and plopped it in the game and coded it up um yeah so the the music was was the easy part that was the easiest part of the game does the game feel different when the music's there like when you play through it because you played through it before the music had been added on yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. the game without music is it's terrible yeah you gotta <laughs> have the music it feels empty it feels weird yeah i think i would have smashed my computer but then have the town theme that kind of brings you back to base level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I'm sure you got very frustrated at quite a few parts in the game, which is exactly what I want, right? Like that's that's how I designed the game. I want it to be really fucking hard because that's exactly what I was feeling when I was making this fucking game. You just try over and over and over and over and you fail and you fail and you fail. But if you eventually figure it out, it's such a rewarding finish so satisfying, to the game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I implore you to go look at videos of those kids beating the final boss and you can hear in their voices how excited <laughs> they are because they've spent so long just failing and then they, they get to this really epic boss fight and they beat it and they did it together as a team, as a community. And it's like, it's a really great feeling. That's exactly what I was going for. And I'm so happy that, that it came to fruition. When you get to the boss fight, 
is it relatively okay to beat or is there still quite a strong possibility that you're going to fall at that final hurdle? Well, you always get to the boss fight. So if you if you are playing the game before 8 p.m. local time, five minutes before 8 p.m., the sun goes down and the transition to the boss fight starts. And then at exactly 8 p.m., no matter what point in the game you're at, you get warped up to the boss fight. Yeah. Um, the problem is if you haven't done some puzzles and tasks you can't actually beat him but you can always fight him and yeah it's it's a hard it's a hard boss fight it's not easy yeah you gotta have the big gun you gotta you gotta have the big gun loaded <laughs> yep and you gotta have your you gotta have your moves right but yeah i mean to get the big gun loaded you need your moves too so yeah there's there's a whole journey you have to take to to even be able to beat the boss fight but you can always fight him and i i thought that was a a funny a funny thing to put in the game like yeah you can you can for sure get there but he's gonna kill you it's a that's taking a page out of like the legend of zelda ocarina of time like there's so many parts of that game that you can get to and you're just like well i can't beat this and it's like oh yeah i guess because i don't have the hook shot or i don't have the horse or you know i don't have the magnifying glass that allows you to see invisible shit like i really like that that part of zelda where it's pretty open world you can explore but you're going to be totally fucked unless you've figured out parts of the game before that. It's pretty cruel when you're a child, though. Like, I remember playing that X7 and, like... <laughs> it's a tough <laughs> no, game. I never had any idea game. what I was doing, yeah. Yeah, but again, again, if you that's one of those games where if you figure it out, if you finally figure it out, it's it feels yeah. so, so good. How did you get away with sampling the good, the bad, and the ugly for Gus's song? I don't think you can copyright that. You, I don't think you that's can a copyright it. thing. Yeah, I don't think so. Because yeah, that that sample actually came from a free, like a, a royalty free sample pack that came from a cashmere royalty free sample pack off Splice. And I don't think you can copyright a melody that's that few notes. There's some law around it, but yeah, that's that's it's royalty free. And I mean, I do finish out the melody in a way, but I I changed a few notes, so it's not actually the melody, right? So it's yeah, it's it, you can't sue me over that. I can't believe you can't copyright that, but you can copyright the bleep test or the pacer test, rather. Well, so because the pacer test is minutes of audio, right? Like, yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing. Melody, there's different rules around melody, but yeah, you're you're referencing on the run from yeah. Cossett, that that was <laughs> I that heard was the Spotify a funny version, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that was funny when i was trying to upload that to spotify i was so fucking pissed off yeah copyright laws are just they're just fucking out of control but yeah the good the bad the ugly um whistle i don't think is copywritten do you ever sample other stuff when you're doing the one trick danger stuff or do you always just build it up from scratch i mean it's it's usually just whatever samples i have in my sample packs um and i try to just download royalty free sample packs just so i don't have to worry about it but like off this off this upcoming album, I can tell you I'm sampling like a NASA rocket ship lifting off. There's a song called Rocket Ship on this new album. And you're actually the first to hear that, by the way. But uh, yeah, but <laughs> I and I got that off YouTube. And I I mean, I guess it could be it could be copyrighted. And I'd be super surprised if it was. Um, but yeah, I, I ripped some of the sound of that rocket blasting off. But yeah, typically, typically, no, I don't I don't sample other stuff unless it kind of fits the narrative of like what the album's actually trying to do like what you're saying with the rocket yes exactly yeah is building a narrative in an album quite different in terms of the approach to a game uh yeah i mean that would also be a question for will because like the way i make music is i i rarely think of like the big album concept picture i i typically just like to make songs that I just like that pop into my head and I just put them down and none of them relate to each other. Will is more to more of the con- conceptual artist. And so I typically just make a bunch of fucked up songs and he figures out a way to put them together interestingly in an album. And then once we have that framework, we sort of fill in the gaps and that's, that's exactly where I'm at in the album right now where I, I need, I need some conceptual guidance from him because I, I can make a ton of, singular tracks but to make them to f- make them fit together is is not a great skill of mine you were saying earlier on as well that the three characters in this game are going to be the three characters on the next record are they yeah. kind of three of the things that can kind of keep you grounded when you're working on songs in that way then so that there is something to assemble when it comes to it 
Yeah, they can. I mean, I will say they're not the only three characters, but like, yeah, they're three interesting characters, obviously Trait and Stoney and then introducing Tommy. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tommy, that was one thing that I knew um, I wanted to have was Tommy because, so I don't know if you remember um, when Pitchfork wrote their Madlow review, they called me Andy Katz. <laughs> I think they were trying um, to get back at you for you slagging them off on the first record. Exactly. <laughs> I, I fucking know they did that on purpose. So the war continues, right? The battle rages on. So because they did that, I decided I'm going to make an entire album dedicated to the fact that they called me Andy. So Tommy, <laughs> as you can say, tell Andy, Tommy, Tommy is a character. <laughs> I'm not going to give away too much, but he's a character that I knew I wanted on the album because he helps tell the story of the uh, Tim Schenectady Pitchfork News reporter, like, fucking his name up. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was one character I knew I wanted on the album. Wait, so Tommy is a manifestation of Tim? No. No. Okay, so he's a completely I don't want to give away cat. too much, okay, okay, but yeah. Tommy, Tommy is being called Tommy by Tim, and that's not his name. Yeah. I mean, Tim... How you Schenectady? Schenectady, yeah. Schenectady. I feel like I don't quite have the accent to get it. I don't think I'm even saying it right, but that's... <laughs> Because there's a place called Schenectady, New York, and I think it's just called Schenectady, but I like Schenectady a little better. <laughs> Wait, so is that where you took his name from? Yeah, oh yeah, we were driving oh, okay. through Schenectady, New York, and we stopped at a diner, and I came up with that character for an Instagram video, I think. I wanted to ask about some of the characters in the game as well. Like Donovan, was he added post-COVID? The kind of play doctor figure? Donovan Donovan has nothing to do with COVID. Because I just go on this like Unity asset store and I grab whatever I can find that's free in terms of like characters and stuff. And he was just one of them that I saw. Um so no, that it had nothing to do with COVID. But I mean all those characters were put in the game just just to make the game a little more interesting when you're walking around in the area. Who voices him? So Donovan is actually my roommate. So okay. my roommate is the same guy that does the rapping on drove my car he's actually involved in a lot a lot of the one td songs um because he's just a hilarious guy and he's great at ad-libbing so i i put him in front of a mic all the time he'll be on this new album as well in certain spots he actually he plays tommy on the new album nice drove my car is the one that is then sampled on deadlines thoughtful right yes Yeah, yeah, yeah yep that's an interest. Is that kind of partly what draws you to EDM? The way that you can kind of take that beat and elongate it a little bit and do something completely different with it? Oh, it's definitely it's definitely a part of EDM that's cool to me. Yeah, resampling, remixing is just like at the core of EDM. Yeah, it's it's I would say it's part of it. Does it feel more forward facing in that way to you? Like the kind of stuff that you're touching upon, like in unique on the records and stuff? What do you mean by that? In terms of the future of music, does it feel like something that's maybe music is gonna head more in that direction? Oh yeah, no yeah, doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's already it's already there. Like sampling and remixing, that's like what everyone's doing, right? Like, I mean, it's always been done, but it's just being done on such a uh, exponentially large level right now because everybody has access to recording equipment now. Everyone's a bedroom producer. Anybody can go grab, you know, the the melody or the piano part from a song and put it in their song, or anybody can go grab a sample, or you know, it's just like. There's just such a crazy amount of remixed content being put out now, which is why I think copyright laws need to be completely redone because they just don't really fit in like the modern dynamic of content creation. And hopefully they'll change soon. Yeah. I remember speaking about it on the podcast once before with a tribe called Quest's Can I Kick It? Oh, uh, yeah. There's a Logic song where he uses the melody or that he uses the kind of chorus from it and all royalties have to go to Lou Reed because quest song yeah. original everything i had to go to lou reed which is crazy it's the stupidest it's the stupidest fucking shit on the planet yeah it's dumb and i get and i get i get copyright laws they protect artists right because it'd be if there were no copyright laws at all everyone would just be stealing shit and saying it's their own right but like i i know there has to be i don't have like the solution off the top of my head but i know there has to be a better way to credit the original content creator while still rewarding the the person that's sampling them right like there has to be a better alternative to what we're doing now like lou reed shouldn't get a hundred percent of that shit maybe a little bit but he didn't make that fucking song he's right? not even getting it he's not here anymore like 
Yeah, well, or his estate or whatever you yeah. would call it. Yeah. But I mean, like, those guys put in a lot of work. Like, yeah, they still use a sample, but they made a cool song out of it. And they should be rewarded more than I think the current law allows. I think sampling is going to be the way to keep things relevant to a certain degree as well. Like, if you look at, like, Kanye sampling, like, King Crimson on, um, I think, is it Famous? Uh, I'm not a Kanye fan. I don't even know that song. But but I know I know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I mean, it's a great way to make cool content is to resample. And at the end of the day, like, the world just feeds on entertainment, right? That's, like, that's why we go to work, is so we can, like, enjoy life. And part of enjoying life is consuming content and like if you if you choke people out for making content you're not going to get as much content it's 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 like we're shooting ourselves in the foot but again like you do want to protect original artists because you know they they deserve credit and they deserve you know to get rewarded for their work but yeah we just we gotta we gotta redo the whole system i feel like systems they always they they take a lot longer to change that they'll change like 20 years after they needed to if you know what I mean. So maybe we'll get yeah, something I mean, in 2050 or whatever. Yeah, I mean, bureaucracy is just slow. It's slow moving. Is that something, does the video game world for you then feel like a more free place in the same way you're saying that, you know, you're taking like the Plague Doctor just from a sample pack? Um, I would say it's I would say it's similar because like even in the music world, there's a ton of free sample packs you can download. They're all over the internet and and there's a ton of non-free samples, right? Same in the, the game world. There's a ton of assets that you can pay money for. There's people that make a business out of them, right? There's 3D modelers that spend all their working time making models and selling them like that's that's a business and the same way sample pack makers and music do it's 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 all it's all fairly relative and again like those people they're making samples and they're making assets and they should be paid for them for sure but there's just yeah there's just a lot of fucked up rules around it i don't i don't know what like the analogy of royalties would be in the video game world maybe emmy would be the person to ask about that but yeah i mean it's they're definitely similar in that there's free stuff and there's paid stuff but with the paid stuff in the video game world do you just buy and it's a one-time fee that's what it seems like to me okay, yeah i don't yeah, yeah. i don't i've never seen any like royalty shit in the music world or in the the video game world that seems like it'd be a more applicable theory to music like you pay a one-time fee for a certain track to sample it and then you keep everything from right henceforth. yeah that's a great idea yeah exactly yeah it's it would make way more sense than what we're doing right now <laughs> maybe in 20 years we'll see yeah we'll see <laughs> do all the characters in the game then have a hidden meaning or just some or not a hidden meaning but a kind of hidden joke behind them or something that's relevant to your life um well i think trait and stony just came about from well trait is as a creation of wills and stony was just a a creation of a song i made called stony baloney and that character just sort of became popular and then the album art that was drawn by remy boydell sort of solidified the image of the character but no they they didn't have any like deeper meaning i think tommy tommy was created for my war with pitchfork <laughs> <laughs> i like the fact that you phrase it as a war oh f- yeah totally i mean it, you can't you can't fucking call me andy and get away with it <laughs> it's an interesting one isn't it where music journalism is at the moment it's pathetic I think the, I think the uk is i think the uk is worth a little bit worse for it than the u.s really i feel like i think you've still got some people kind of flying the flag in an independent kind of way who really care about music well the the people that are doing the best job are people like you that that aren't working for these big fucking conglomerate media sites like the best interview i did for the game before i before we did this interview was um with a with a fucking high school kid that got it published in vice magazine and he he did a great interview he did his research the article was great. And then, of course, he sends it to Vice and the editor makes the worst headline I've ever seen because, uh, you know, the editors pick the headlines. And it, it's just like, dude, these guys suck at their job. Every interview that I did for the game before that with these like larger like uh, news outlets, they sucked. They're they're too big to care. None of them did their homework. None of them knew what the fuck they were talking about. Like like you clearly have done your homework. And these people that work at these big news outlets, they just I guess they understand that their their cush job is gonna pay them either way. So they just like don't give a shit. And they do terrible research, they do terrible interviews, and then they just write some fucking clickbait headline and they call it a day. It's a pathetic industry where where it's at right now. This is what's going to fuck it in the long run, though. 
But that's not going to last forever. Ten years, people. Are, I mean, do people even read it anymore? Like ten years, people are going to catch on to this shit and stop giving. Well, it's not. Well, see, they don't care. It's not. No one. No, of course, no one's reading this stuff. It's about clicks. They they just they get paid on clicks, which is exactly why you make a clickbait headline, right? So you you get the click, you get the ad money, and then you're done. And as long as people keep clicking, which they surely are, it's it's never going to stop. What was the headline for Vice? If you don't mind my asking, <sighs> let me look it up. Um, it says car seat headrests drummer made his own video game franchise, comma regrets it. It's like first of all. This isn't a video game franchise. I don't know what the fuck you think a franchise is, but this is not a, I'm not, this isn't fucking Arby's dude. I didn't make a franchise. I made an original game. And then the regrets it part, like, give me a fucking break. No. And then you read the, you read the article. And of course, nowhere in the article does it say I regretted it. It says, it says that it was brutal and it was hard, but I never said I regretted it. But of course, like that's, that's how you get people to click on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't read it. They click on it. They get two minutes into the article. They realize it's not a thing, and click. Yeah, off no, again. no. Most people, most people won't read it. They'll just read the headline, and they'll, you know, maybe click to read the first sentence of the article or whatever, and then back out, whatever. Um, but yeah, Vice doesn't care. They don't care. And and frankly, I don't care either. I mean, it's pub, it's publicity for me. But I could see, I could see me caring. You know, in other situations, it's just, it's just poor, it's just poor journalism, and it's, it's. I don't know. I just like the state of the state of the entire world just seems the quality of everything seems to be going down. Just just these big companies, they get too big. They get too big to give a shit anymore. The world suffers for it. Yeah. Nothing lasts forever though. Do you think that's an inevitable thing though? Do you think even if these companies fall, do you think there'll just be new ones that kind of take their place? Or will something kind of fresh oh, come oh, through? Oh, I think it's just gonna continue to get worse. I mean, I think it's just it conglomerates are just gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, I think overall quality of life for humans will continue to rise, but the annoyances of living under a monopoly um, capitalist society will just get worse and worse and, unless something drastic happens. Like if America actually buys into socialism or whatever, you know, I could see things getting better. We break up big companies, but the trend seems to be that that's not the case. I feel like the kind of the basis that America's founded upon on this kind of whole freedom ideology that's inherently a right wing thing though, right? Well now it is. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. And I mean it's not to say that like because you're if you're democratic, you don't believe in like freedom of speech and shit. Like like of course, and like freedom of market and stuff like that. But it's like the constitution in America was written at a time when we didn't have these kind of modern problems that we do with the capitalist structure. And now that we're seeing them play out in real time, it's like, okay, well, yeah, the constitution's great, but it was designed to be amended. We need to amend this ASAP. It's not looking good over here. Um, I, I don't, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think free, free market is necessarily right wing. The right wingers, they jump on it. Because it's like, oh, you you don't like capitalism? Well, then you don't like America. You know, that's the like that's the the caricature of the right winger. But I, yeah, I, yeah, we, we could we could dive into politics if you want, but it's it's going to take a dark spin. I will, yeah, it is an interesting juxtaposition to let you say that our quality of life in terms of health and safety is vastly improving, but we're losing a lot as a result of that, and it's a tricky balance to kind of. Not just navigate, totally. but even have a perception of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, if you look at the the trends of like life expectancy, obviously pre-COVID and just like quality of life for most humans on the planet, it is increasing. But at the same time, the wealth gap is increasing even faster. So at some point, it's going to come to a head and it'll be curious to see what happens. Yeah, there's never really been a distinct change in history without violence, which is an interesting Yeah. I do. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, we might be we might be at the at the point in society where it won't be physical violence. It'll probably be more cyber cyber violence warfare. But yeah, we'll see what happens. It's like what you think about's been going on. There's an interesting kind of thing happening with this whole GameStop thing, isn't there? I mean, we're speaking, we're speaking about <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin a little bit. This whole kind of yeah, weird, GME man. It's interesting. It's hilarious. Yeah, I mean the the fucking the world woke up and realized like. Oh, we could just all band together and fucking wreck Wall Street. 
do it. Um, the problem with it and the reason why I don't support it um, and I didn't buy any of it is because inevitably a lot of us peasants are going to get burned by it, right? Because yes, at the beginning, you're you're liquidating all these shorts that Wall Street has on GME, but eventually all those people that are buying GME early are going to sell and take their ton of profit. And then you have this whole slew of people that bought in too late and they're going to lose a shitload of money. And so, yeah, I just, that, that whole thing bothers me a little bit because um, it is kind of like a pump and dump scheme and, and inevitably people are going, like peasant people like me are going to lose money doing it. But as long as people realize that they're literally just gambling at that point, then then they if they're cool with losing a little bit of gambling money, then yeah, go have fun. It kind of highlights a lot of the problem with the system though, doesn't it? As soon as your average Joe catches onto it, he's going to be losing money. <laughs> yeah. I'm no stock expert, but in a pump scheme like that, yeah, people are going to lose money. Now, if you're, if you're someone who's like putting money into a Roth IRA or something where like the general population just kind of every year commits a certain amount of money to the Roth IRA, then the whole economy and the market grows and everybody kind of gets their their little piece of the pie as they get older. That's like natural good growth. But yeah, something like the GME thing is just, it's bound to fuck a lot of people over. Yeah. Speaking of people stealing from, not stealing, well, people stealing from Wall Street, horses stealing from banks. <laughs> <laughs> Gus. Yeah, Gus. Gus is, uh, is an interesting one. This was written all on. Twi- this was like written and produced on Twitch live, right? Yeah, you I mean, pretty much the, the entire thing. thing was made on Twitch. I don't think any of it got saved unless somebody recorded it, but I don't think Twitch saved it. But yeah, there was like I did it over like the course of two weeks. It took a long time to make because it's a fucking long ass song. Yeah, it's um, eight minutes, eight nine minutes, eight. Yeah, it's like eight or nine. Yeah, and like the whole thing was made with this group of people on Twitch just feeding me ideas. Like I didn't come up with the name Gus. Like I, I asked, I was like, all right, Twitch, like, what do you want me to make today? Started with a blank file. And someone was like, make a country song. And I was like, okay, uh, well, there's surely going to be a horse in it. What should we call the horse? And someone yells Gus. And so then I thought it'd be funny, like, okay, this will be a country song only in the sense that it has to do with like farms and wild west and horses, but it's going to be a rap song <laughs> like, <laughs> and like an EDM song. Nothing about the music is country at all, which I think is a funny juxtaposition. But yeah, they just watched me make it and they fed me ideas and it was it was a really funny and fun experience and I'm I'm glad we we put it out. That's an interesting had you ever written in a will before where you have like a whole crowd of people just throwing ideas as you're going through? Kind of. I mean I, I used to call it Twitch Plays Ableton, where I would just accept any ideas from people. But that was the first time that I did it where we like actually finished a song, you know, front to back probably because i i liked the song like the other stuff that we had done before it just was kind of stupid but that one i thought was hilarious and so i was like okay we're for sure finishing this and then of course getting to release it for all the people that watched it get created is probably fun for them and people like the song i think i think it's a it's a good song it's it's not very palatable because it's eight minutes long but if you're ready for like a a mini adventure of music you know sit down and listen to it you're saying that it's not it's good, but it's not always very palatable. Why do you think it is that in that way comedy is kind of seen to devalue art? You know, in the same way that like Superbad isn't nominated for an Oscar. Oh man, Superbad's my favorite movie. It's a great, great fucking movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, you, you can't you can't compare Superbad to One Trade Danger because Superbad is actually a great piece of work. One Trade Danger is funny, but it definitely has a lot of like holes in it and like. There's plenty of comedy music that is also palatable. Like I think a great example of that is Tenacious D. Like the song Tribute was so popular because it's hilarious and the music is really good. Like you could have made a non-comedy song to that music and it would have still been a hit, right? That's the difference between One Trade Danger and Tenacious D. Now One Trade Danger is less palatable because the music is kind of harsh and like a little crazy, but at the same time it has that's what gives it its unique aesthetic and I think why it has its sort of core cult following because it is so unique in that way. But yeah, don't don't mistake <laughs> don't mistake the fact that One Trade Danger is not putting out as good of music as Tenacious D. 
Do you know I think Drove My Car is kind of an example of that, though? The fact that you're able to take that into deadlines and turn it into a really unique and wonderful song. Yes. That's kind of the, yeah. the, the music's there at the core, you know? Yeah, well, I think I think Will was able to make it into a, <laughs> a good song. Um, and I think Drove My Car is a, is a good beat, too. Like, the, it's a well-produced beat. But I don't think Drove My Car would have any sort of following if it didn't have the comedy lyrics, right? Like, it would it would just be, like, kind of a you know, well-produced, decent EDM track, but it wouldn't be special, right? The comedy is what gives it the special twinge. And hopefully someday we can get to the level where we're making great music that is also funny, right? Like I would like to get there, um, but it's hard. It's hard to do. It also takes time, which like kind of at the core of 1TD is the fact that we don't really spend that much time on the songs. Like that's sort of the fun of making it is it's like, you just kind of throw it together and that's that. And that's actually one thing that I'm excited about for this new album is that because of COVID and because we're not touring, we've been able to actually make some pretty good music as well as put comedy on it. So I'm, I'm hoping that shines through on this next album. At what point when you're writing it, do you kind of realize it's going to be a comedy song? Do you know from the author? Is it something that kind of emerges pretty at what point in the process? Well, I mean, if I sit down to make a one TD song, I'm, I'm well aware it's going to be comedy. Okay, so you, um, you sit down like with a the or a cover. Yeah. Do you still sit down sometimes then with no intention of what you're going to create and just see where it takes you? Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of the 1TD beats start like that. You know, like I'm, I just start making a beat, not necessarily thinking it'll be 1TD. And then I make a beat and then I have all these beats, these unfinished beats in my file folders. And then I'm like, okay, let's, let's make one of these into a 1TD song, right? Then you go grab it and put it together do you ever change the beat or does the beat stay the same even when you kind of start to work the comedy into it oh it, it changes often yeah and i mean typically like at least for this album like a lot of these songs were made by just me recording these little snippet ideas onto my voice memos on my phone like sometimes literally just putting the voice memo in the track like one of the tracks on this next album starts with a voice memo literally just dragged in and then i sort of build a beat around that like really really skeleton idea that's kind of what's at the core of the project though isn't it like there is a sense of like if you look at that second record what it's talking about a lot of it's pretty real even if you're doing it in a comedic setting like speaking about touring and people that sound like matt demarco you know totally i mean that's that's kind of the fun of 1td is we get to we get to put like our lives into it a little bit right like some of that stuff a lot of that stuff came from actual experiences we had on tour, right? And then we got to we got to make fun of it. Is that how Banger on a Plane came about? Was that original conversation at the beginning of that based on a true encounter? No, that conversation we actually made up, but the the song was made on a plane. Like I I made that on a plane and I just opened up a blank file and I just called it Banger on a Plane because we were you know <laughs> 30,000 feet up in the air. And I was like, "Well, okay, I guess I'm making a Banger on a Plane." And I made this whole plane song and then when we landed i was like okay well i'm just gonna record lyrics about that banger on a plane (laughs) and that's how that came about so yeah i mean a lot of it really in like melbourne australia you know being afraid to go to the pool or whatever because you don't want to look bad literally came about because we were in melbourne australia on a day off at our little um like apartment hotel and will comes downstairs in his bathing suit and he's looking out the sliding glass window out into the courtyard where the pool is and he's just kind of standing there looking out the window. And I'm like, you going to go? And he's like, ah, there's too many people out there. I don't think I'm going to go. And so then I instantly started making a song about that, right? Like, so it's it's all very real life experiences, but with the one trade danger twist. And that's what you need to keep it grounded. And that's why it's got its cult following. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Banger on a plane then is an interesting one. If you actually wrote it on a flight. Did you change it at all when you landed? Because there, there is this, I can't remember what the phrase for it is, but you do get in a heightened like emotional state when you're flying. It's something to do with the altitude and the way it kind of affects your chemistry, your brain. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I just produced the beat on the plane. I didn't, the lyrics all happened on on Earth. But yeah, I know what you mean. Do you, do you ever try and do that? Like put yourself in a different headspace in order to kind of make music or... Any kind oh, of you art. have to. Yeah. yeah, you have to. You can't just sit in a, a room with four white walls and make good music. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta go get a lot more input. You know, like basically five times as much input as the output that you're making. Yeah. So like having having my buddy Aaron, the guy that that does the drove my car rapping, like we bounce ideas off each other all the time. 
right? When Will and I and Ethan and Seth are on tour, we're bouncing ideas off each other all the time. Like just being around people that are in the same mindset as you, the same comedic mindset and just living your life. And the moment you see something inspiring, even if it's as funny as not wanting to go to the pool, right? Like you just grab that and then you can use it, right? But you can't get those experiences just sitting in a room, right? You need the input. When you're in COVID times right now, then are you kind of trying to consume a lot of like movies and books and stuff and music or to try and supplement that? That no. lack of experience? No. No, I'm not. No, I mean, I just sat inside and made a shitty video game. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, even that experience gave me, you know, I, I was working on a song called Game Dev. It's not going to be on the album, but uh, it's a it's a song about being a game developer. You know, I I, I, I get my input from from plenty of places but i'm i'm not like i'm not really one to like read books or like watch a lot of movies or tv or anything like that i'm either like hanging out with people socializing getting exercise going outside or working on a project right so yeah i i it's mostly just socializing with people that are also comedic that has driven most of this material when you sit down to watch something then is it quite a conscious choice that you're going to rewatch a classic or something that you know you're going to love I mean, I honestly can't even remember the last time I watched a movie. So, yeah, <laughs> I'd like, yeah, don't think about it much at all. I thought, well, you know, you know, used to be a big uh, Billy Madison fan. I fucking love that movie. I love that movie. Absolutely. You had a pair of Billy Madison shoes. Oh, yeah. Doyle Rules. Man, you really did your homework. Shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, cool I mean, like, I love a lot of movies and I've seen a lot of movies in my life. I'm just at a point in my life right now where... I don't feel like I have time. I'd rather just create something. But yeah, of course, I've I've rewatched Billy Madison a million times. The movie's fucking hilarious. Do you feel like your tastes are quite solidified now, in terms of what you know? You know what you like? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, comedy is surely my favorite genre. Um, not to say that I'm not like open to new movies and stuff. Yeah, I just I you know everyone gets to to allocate their time, their limited time every day to do things, right? Some people like to to watch movies and read and i like to you know play video games make video games play music make music that's like most like making music is like most of what i'm doing on a day-to-day i mean especially like this month working on the album and just going outside i I like to take walks every day like i i get really really antsy if i'm not walking like a mile or two a day i'm the same yeah like exercise is key to to having a clear mind so yeah, I mean, I just, I just prefer to allocate my time to different things. Yeah, that's part of the reason why our tastes solidify. The fact that we have less time, so we kind of become more conservative with it. Yeah, I would agree, for sure. I mean, as you, as you get older, you have more responsibilities, right? You have less time to work on things that are entertaining because you're too busy going to work or washing the dishes, cleaning the house, you know? There's just, as you get older, you just literally get less time to... Um, just recreate so yeah you gotta you gotta just stick to what you know as you become more confident in what you enjoy and what you like to kind of take in how does that impact what you create and put out and your conviction in that that's a hard-ass question i don't i don't fucking (laughs) know (laughs) i mean no don't apologize it's a great it's a great question i'm just not gonna be able to answer it i like i have no fucking clue like my my brain is so it's uh, I've I'm always just like I've always got some stupid idea bouncing around in my head or some you know little loop of music or some little shower song that I've got stuck in my head. Like I rarely I rarely even listen to music when I'm at home. Like wow, super rare for me to like put on an album. I can't remember the last time I listened to like an album all the way through because I'm so busy like in my own head with these stupid little ideas. Which, which is not great because like you definitely want input. You want inspiration from other, from other music. But how I do it is like I listen to a little bit of music. And when I do listen to it, I really hang on to the, the moments of that music that inspired me. And I'll like spend the next like year of my life creating music in that vein. Like I think Skrillex is a great example of that. He basically launched me 
into being interested in EDM. Does that make you very conscious of what you listen to? If you know that it could have that big an impact upon you? No, no. I I, I like to be I like to be totally open. Um, I love when other people show me music that they like because I hate seeking out music. I hate the process of listening to a bunch of music and then being like, oh, I like that one. Okay, I'll save that. Like that's a waste of time to me. So I love when people show me the music that they like. Now, alternatively, the flip side to that is people fucking hate the music that I show them. No one likes <laughs> no one likes when I get the aux cord. People get pissed. You know, I'm putting on like royal blood at a fucking party. Everyone's like, what the fuck is this shit? Great band. So but uh that I fucking love them, but it's not most people don't want to listen to that at a party, right? Like you gotta know your crowd. And so I love when people show me their music because then I'm like, wow, that's a good song. Okay, I'll go listen to that when I get home. You know, um, I just don't like seeking it out myself, which is a huge part of the reason why I don't listen to it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 